they want it to have the transaction volume. And I, I think that merchants want it for a streamlined checkout process. It's a little bit fragmented when you're on Instagram and then you pop off Instagram and you got to kind of reorient yourself because you're on some web page now. Can't even tell Instagram's in the background. You know, whereas if you were just there, it was a real simple, clean flow that just took you to like bang one click checkout. I think there's there's a lot of motivation for that kind of across the board. Hello and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad10, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad10. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. As you know, I am a managing partner of Ad10. And our guest today is Andrew Gouldman. He is the CEO of Configure ID. This is a super cool story. I'm going to let Andrew, you dive in, kind of give an intro of yourself and the company. And uh, we're going to we're dig into how you you got yourself into this, this situation, which is, is unique and awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Ledge. Well, it's great to be here with you today. So Configure ID is a product personalization platform. And we, as you said, have a, a fairly unique story. We've been in business. Our technology has been in existence for many years. And I, I personally was involved with it from the very beginning as the, uh, the architect of the, at the time it was Fluid Configure. So I helped uh, architect and build the Fluid Configure software about over 15 years ago. And uh, now we are Configure ID. We work with uh, many premium brands, Louis Vuitton, Luxottica, Fender Guitars, uh, Michael Kors, Ralph Lauren, a bunch of others, providing product personalization services as a platform. So a software as a service collection of, of services uh, to help companies develop and present top tier product personalization services. So like e-commerce, right? So when I'm, I'm buying online and there's like a bunch of different options that could go into a thing or customizations, the software enables that to be done more easily from the business side, I guess, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's sort of twofold or more than twofold, three or fourfold. <laughs> there's kind of the manufacturing perspective. If you're building highly customizable products, you got to be able to build them one way or another. Then there's the, um, the user experience which is really kind of our main focus. You know, the other stuff we, we take care of, but the user experience is really our sweet spot. Um, like exquisite product visuals, 3D preferably, highly interactive, performant. So you really feel like you've got that, you know, customized guitar 
or glasses, you know, on your face or in your hands. <laughs> as close as you can get, right? I can't right. wait till we can. Once I can reach into my screen and pull a guitar out, that'd be pretty awesome. So. <laughs> well, it's getting pretty close. I mean, with AR technologies, you know, we've right. been dabbling with AR, um, which has been really fun. That'd be um, very cool. Yeah. yeah. How will that guitar yeah, look hanging on my wall? Because I, you know, I don't practice enough, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Oh, that's right. No, no, that's not Wayfair. That's right. <laughs> right on. So, yeah. So I love this story because we talked to a lot of founders who have been through, you know, a lot of different things and get a business off the ground and, you know, product market fit and often thinking about product first, you know, and sort of build a business around it. But this, this idea of a thing that you helped build that already existed, that was part of a company and then spun out into another company. And just before we got on, Mike, it was, you know, you're talking about how we're basically an engineering team that then had to build a business around it, which I imagine falls, you know, squarely on your uh, formerly tech shoulders to, you know, do all the things, which um, is even more fun. So yeah, you know, go through that story, because I, I bet there are other people that have thought about that and just kind of go, I have no idea how you would take this thing out of the fold and um, commercialize and build a business around an idea that already exists. So you don't have to prove anything except you do have to run a lot of stuff. So I'll leave it there, but yeah, tell your story. Cause I think that's awesome. <laughs> it is an interesting story. And it's funny how, you know, like you alluded to my personal journey has been sort of mirrored by the journey of the company. You know, like I, I was an engineer we had an engineering organization and then all of a sudden I'm a CEO and we're trying to build out this entire company. So just to explain the progression a little bit, like we were, as I mentioned before, we were fluid configure part of a company called fluid. Um, fluid was a fairly small kind of boutique agency that focused on user experience and e-commerce. And so they had kind of sponsored the development of fluid configure as a tool to help them, you know, sell to customers and, and do lucrative implementations on top of it. Then astound commerce bought fluid because they wanted fluids expertise and strategy and analytics and design and so on. And then along with all that came fluid configure and, uh, astound commerce pretty clearly identified that, Fluid Configure was not really part of their strategic vision. And there were a couple of really compelling reasons for that. You know, they made a lot of sense was first you have, because they're, they're more focused on e-commerce implementations, similar to Fluid, but a little bit more efficient and a little bit less boutique, right? And so their whole business culture is around predictability, repeatability, efficiency, scale, Right. Whereas us, we're an innovative product company. We want to learn about AR. You know, we want to push this and that and take chances, run fast with scissors, right? Like that's the culture <laughs> of a technology-driven startup. And clearly they're different cultures. And so didn't really make sense to try to get this highly innovative, bleeding-edge company to exist within the fabric of an efficient scale machine. Similar conflicts around funding you know a services professional services organization like astound is evaluated based on their profitability 
and a software as a service startup like Configure ID is judged based on recurring revenue and growth, not profit. And so our financials were just bang, clashing with each other. So for those two reasons, a little over a year ago, Configure ID became an independent company. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I was talking about my journey and the company's journey, you know, like I, I know a lot more now than I did then. And I would have pursued <laughs> fleshing out the organization a little more aggressively if I were doing this again. But we, we kind of landed in, in our own, you know, our own domain, our own company as an engineering team, like you said. Um, I think we did have, we had a product manager at that time, fortunately, but it was like QA engineering and product manager and so the, the all you first, could ever need to run a business right yeah right, right we did have the major advantage of uh being incubated by astound so even though we became a separate company we maintained a close relationship like astound still owns us they're right. just fairly hands-off on the management so we've been able to leverage like legal and hr and finance from astound which is huge, which is huge. That, I mean, it, is it huge. would be particularly whole, on the billing whole, side. Yeah. Right. Right. So it would be a whole different story if that weren't the case that I think gave us the ability to figure it out on the fly without like going bankrupt immediately. But you still need <laughs> customer success. You still need uh, right. ops, ops deployment. You probably need sales, marketing, you know, like right. all that stuff. Right. So all of which, by the way, are like enormous sinks of money when you're getting them off the ground. So, yeah. And and just very difficult for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing <laughs> to start up. Well, I don't, that's the dirty secret though. As you know, as a founder, none of us know what we're doing. We well, just, you know, we just read a day ahead in the textbook, just like. <laughs> so, yeah. Fortunately, that does seem to work out okay. I mean, the application of common sense and listening and humility has proven valuable um <laughs> but just just like you said we've been putting together all those things we actually did kind of have some devops we were already responsible for our own deployments and stuff so that team was in place but just like you said marketing sales customer success we started with marketing because it was the most obvious that we weren't getting enough leads <laughs> so we figured <laughs> that marketing was the place to start that's generally Got a good thing to do yep yep <laughs> So we've got an awesome marketing team in place now. We got some great plans and, you know, application of common sense and best practices. We're we're not trying to reinvent the wheel in any of these disciplines, you know, just basically trying to trying to understand and adhere to the best practices. Then the next thing we addressed was customer success. We've got an awesome awesome customer success team now. Once we got our customer success in place, we are currently focusing on building out our sales team. God help you. That's close to my heart. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. You could argue that we got it all backwards, you know, and we should have done sales first. And that may be true, you know, but uh, our thinking was that we wanted to have sales leads. We felt like it would be unfair to put a salesperson into the void. <laughs> hey, you, I, I think now I think you're absolutely right. I would not have disagreed at, at all with that because well, good. Uh, Many people make the mistake of having a sales team and going, okay, go find opportunities. And, uh, you know, like that, that does require marketing to, to bring in leads and and opportunities into the funnel. It all goes together. So uh, I'd rather have too many leads and the inability to sell, 
to them based on capacity than a bunch of salespeople you're paying with with no uh, you right. know, leads coming in. So I, I agree with your approach. Good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> and, and, you know, the marketing that we did really started at ground zero, you know, like we rebranded to a whole new name. We had to make really fundamental decisions, like the size of the companies we're going after identifying our target audience. Um, you know, I mean, I think this is kind of marketing one one you know, as far as I can tell, but it's not simple and it's not super quick. No, it's and, it's easy to read about. You know, oh, just to find your niche. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And so we we had to iterate a few times. We and we've gotten great help from the leadership at Astound as well. In the middle of us doing this, they Astound got a new CEO who had a real strong marketing background and uh, Michael Kahn. And so he was he was a big help to us. That'll helping. definitely help. Yeah. 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 To kind of like you said, it's easy to read about. So we kind of had, and and we also had hired marketing people who knew what they were doing, but we were all a little bit beyond our comfort zone a bit. So. Well, you, you don't know what the market is going to tell you until you, you know, kind of find out. And so you will, you will always have to iterate. Not an, it's, it's very right. much an agile process, just the way that you would develop software. You know, you make a hypothesis, you test it, you see if it works. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't. But there's, there's parts of it that are super easy to iterate on really quickly, you know, like the the imagery that you use on your Google ad, you know, display ad or something like that. Yeah, constantly iterating, looking at the metrics, whatever. That's like a weekly iteration. There's other parts that you certainly do have to iterate on, but not quite as quickly. You know, like our our name, yeah, <laughs> our yeah, core yeah. messaging, who we're trying to reach. So that kind of stuff, we're certainly going to be adjusting as we learn and move forward, but hoping not to do that too frequently. No, you're not A-B split testing your name, you know, uh, right. um, based on the, you know, <laughs> the current ad environment. Yeah, so right. absolutely. Yeah, I get it. And and the brand and, you know, hopefully those things resonate. And um, But I, I think that, that you're right on it in terms of the data-driven marketing that we can do these days, at least, you know, is in your favor too you know, right. experiment and, and throw, throw some dollars at a certain channel and, you know, see what happens and then extrapolate, you know, from there. So yeah, right. it does. Uh, it's nice that we have those things now and not just guessing on all of it. Like, like we, we would have had to do before all the tools now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so on the business development front, do you have to get in, involved in that? Like, do you, have you gone from engineer to, to chief uh, sales officer? Oh yeah. 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 Uh -huh. Unequivocally, completely. Yeah. I'm all about sales. I was born to sell. All right. It's, all right. it's, and it's really easy to see why it's important and why it's mm -hmm. valid, especially for somebody with my background. Mm -hmm. It's not something that, again, you know, if I could rewind back a year to when I was, you know, earlier in this adventure, I think I would have dove into that role more aggressively because you first, you've got to have, somebody who knows the product well selling it, who believes in it, knows all about it. And it is really important for leading the company to have that customer oriented perspective. Right. And you really don't get that any better than being out there trying to sell it every day. Right. Sure. Sure. And, and yet, how do you build, you know, as we do this all, all the time, it's like, you see, you can't do everything. Right. So it's like, you, yeah. you need to be, certainly you would think executive to, selling would be the higher ticket clients. So, so then you go, well, do I only focus on higher ticket or do I focus on, you know, a bigger swath of the market? Because, 
you know, Andrew can't take all the calls. So if Andrew takes three whales a week, then, you know, that's great. That'd be good for everybody. But then what's everybody else do? And, you know, you go around and around this circle of how big to address which problem, when, how can I deploy them faster? Uh, you know, I, I totally resonate with the the position. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's all fortunately, I mean, you could say this was well-planned or you could say we're kind of getting lucky, but things are kind of ramping up. Like the number of leads is increasing as our ability to handle the leads is increasing. But uh, up until this point, you could say it's lucky or great planning. You know, let's let's go with great planning. So great planning, <laughs> exquisite planning. It, it's amazing <laughs> how our our pro formas match exactly what happened. So. The hockey <laughs> hockey stick up and to the right. Everybody, you just sign up right now. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hey, we've all made projections before and, you know, once in a while projections are right. So <laughs> yeah, like the, like the stopped clock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's, that's awesome. So, I mean, I don't know, lessons learned then, you know, what you can't build all the things at the same time. So um, it sounded to me like you got the order pretty well good there. And given that opportunity to, to spin off, something that that didn't fit was it was it easily apparent to you you know going through the process that 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 was going to be the case and like did you get a lot of time to prepare for it that's a good question i mean when i i you know like i said i i was the original architect lead developer on the team worked on it for a number of years and then left the team so i was you know i was working at ibm doing totally unrelated stuff and then when i came back to the configure team. It was after it had been acquired by Astound and the engineering organization was in the doldrums a bit. It was too small, unmotivated, unfocused. Technical debt was just like stacking up, you know? I mean, it was, it was, it was a real challenge. And so I came in, I was brought in really initially to revamp the engineering organization. Um, to grow it a bit and to give it a little more purpose. Um, that was a more familiar task to me, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but right. it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, the, the engineering team, you know, over the course of about a year, got just completely, completely rebuilt hundred percent culturally in terms of the people working on it, the locations, everything. And so I really had my head down on that. So there was, to get back to your question, there was pretty clear indication of the way things were moving, but I was just so focused on what was a real challenge that I knew needed to be addressed. And it was in my wheelhouse that I think I, 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 like, I, I mean, what, what can I do with all this other information about stuff I don't know how to do? And like, I agree that it makes sense, but like, I'm pretty damn busy over here, you know, like, <laughs> right. so I think I kind of, uh, acknowledged, but didn't act on the direction that things were moving until, until basically the engineering team was in order, which sort of coincided with us being independent. <laughs> wow. Well. That's good that that worked out, but yeah, I mean, that would be a ripe opportunity to accidentally have your head in the sand and then, you know, not be <laughs> prepared for the new world. So at least it sounds like you, you know, 
you've been around the block enough to have your ear to the ground and understanding what was going on around. And at least it sounds like you were background processing. You know, I think of it that way. Right. Right. I think that's probably a good way to say it. I mean, it was pretty clear that we weren't making enough sales. It was pretty clear that our like identity was a little fuzzy, you know? And like I said earlier, it was pretty clear that we needed to be independent of astound. So all these things were pretty clear. I just hadn't totally committed to owning that transition. Right. Well, you have a tremendous brand portfolio. You know, the logos that you have uh, are are huge there. So I got to imagine that goes a long way to the the social proof. If you can reach out to, you know, other large brands, right? Like you've proven you can show you have case studies. Clearly, that's valuable. I would also imagine that it results in a vastly higher conversion rate. And you probably have data to show, you know, there aren't cart abandonments and all kinds of stuff like that if you have that technology, right? Oh, the data is screamingly in our favor. I mean, there's there's two big areas. There's that you get more money for each sale. You know, you're less likely to discount it. You can incrementally upcharge for specific features, you know, if you offer like personalization or premium materials, stuff like that. So you, that ends up with higher margins, higher order value, just the just the real black and white financials are clearly better. And then and then you've got the whole like emotional side of it, which is equally compelling, where when you customize a product, you feel a connection with the brand. And this varies a little bit based on the it varies a lot based on the experience. If you're adding your initials to a watch or something, that's cool, you know. It's nice. You feel some degree of connection, but if you're choosing, you know, like we do a configurator for Nixon watch configurator and you can figure that watch from start to finish, you know, you choose the band, you choose the face, the second hand, (laughs) the whole, whole bit. And so that's a guided co-creation experience. Like by the time you've gone through that process, like you're tight with Nixon, you feel like you're part of the Nixon team. And so you get, return business based on that emotional connection you get referrals like really heartfelt referrals to friends and family so it's it's got this real emotional social component as well as the financial component i mean it's hard to argue against it (laughs) especially especially like coming out of covid with so much more emphasis on e-commerce like everybody is emphasizing e-commerce now it's gotten to be so competitive and you got these you know, marketplaces like Amazon that are commodity driven, price driven. And this gives you a way, it gives our, our customers a way to break that cycle. Like their product isn't a commodity if it's customized. It creates a connection to the brand. Well, if I had one, I'd totally buy it from you. So you, you sold me. So I, I believe you. So <laughs> how much, how much of that positioning had to come out of, you know, the work that, that you guys um, have done, you know, because I, I sense there that you're delivering a natural thing that you believe in. Um, and that was well packaged. So you've been spending your time with with marketing and refining that. And so I don't think people realize how much of the work is the repetition of those messages so that you can deliver that and, and look compelling and sound compelling. I mean, that's, that's real sales to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I suppose part of it's the delivery. It certainly is a lot easier when there's a real, when there's real substance behind it. Like this whole, this whole thing started with with research, research that we've done 
um, or the astound as a, as a research team, you know, so they've done like customer outreach, just a non, you know, surveying people and all that, which provides pretty clear trends. You know, I was explaining that was sort of the foundation of somewhat I was saying. And then you know, analysts like Gartner and McKinsey and stuff, they do their own studies that all point in the same direction. So if someone is getting into e-commerce, not, I mean, not from the beginning, right. But like, if, if you're looking for a way then to sell a product in a more compelling e-commerce type of, of way now, that's the core message, right. That, that, uh, an excellent in browser or in app experience has to be in place that you just can't get away with sort of your standard theme where, you know, here's three pictures of your thing and, you know, click here, add to cart. Like it's just, uh, we're, we're past that world now. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in a number of dimensions, you know, like we've been focusing more on the customization piece. There's also kind of the whole immersive product visualization I mentioned briefly before. You know, like the idea of 3D product visualization. I mean, 3D is the most compelling probably, but even if it's high quality 2D, like product visualization with intention. <laughs> you want, you want again, it becomes an emotional thing with that visualization. Like we were talking about being able to see the guitar on your wall, see the guitar in your hands, you know, like you feel like you can really see this, you know, like we do... Uh, customization for franklin sports batting glove configurator it's got so many options you know you can just create this thing any which way you want and it's got this 3d visualization you can zoom in on it you can see the texture of the leather i mean it just feels like it's on your hand and it makes it so much more compelling and it's even more awesome when it accompanies a configuration experience but even if it's not configurable, even if it's just like, you know, you're buying a pair of headphones or something, whatever it is, you can see them, you know, you can zoom in and see like the texture of it. And you know what I mean? You can see the light shine off the metal parts. And <laughs> You just brought up an interesting I, a question to me because uh, you haven't mentioned that you have in-house media teams. So my guess is that you have to partner with the client on how do you get these megapixel or, you know, gigapixel, gigantic 3D render, you know, types of experiences of the product. Is there some kind of a, a supply chain there where like, you know, a batting glove needs to go to a, a studio, I imagine, of some sort and be photographed from a million angles and, and all this stuff? Like, how do you how do you get the inputs to what you need to make the technology good? There's two basic paths. I mean, this is like 3D production pipelines we're talking about. It usually doesn't involve photography. Um, if it does involve photography, it's like you either have the physical product or you have photography as the input to it. But the photography doesn't have to be megapixel. So either our customers already have 3D models. You know, an increasing number of companies use those instead of studio photo shoots. You uh, know? Okay. Like a so CAD model type of thing? Like, like a what? From, like CAD, like from design standpoint, is it just a 3D model like that you could export kind of deal, I guess? Well, in some cases it's CAD. Usually mm. CAD means they're using it for manufacturing. So okay. usually that means there's really high detail in the geometry, like uh, manufacturing level detail. Usually CAD drawings don't have 
the the really beautiful visualization like they don't really oh. care if it's photorealistic visualization they need to construct the thing you know okay right so sometimes we do start with cad models in which case we downscale the geometry because they're too heavy to use on the web effectively mm-hmm. and then we have to add the materials you know so it looks just right so sometimes that's the starting point other times companies are creating these 3d models specifically for presentation on the web whether it's rendering 2d images or or other purposes and they'll use tools either just 3d modeling tools like maya or blender or they could be using apparel specific 3d modeling tools like clo 3d or browseware there's a variety of different tool sets but if we're working with a company with those then sometimes they'll be able to give us basically just what we need and there's not as much post-production work going into it. Then there's the other the other camp where they don't have three models, where we're the gateway drug for them. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're kind of what's motivating them to get into 3D, or they're using us as the first step into it. And we have a 3D production team as part of our team. Wow. Um, that can either do these optimizations I was talking about, you know, if you're starting starting with CAD, or if the things exported from browser or Clo need some modification and touch up then our 3D artists can do that. Um, of course, if we're starting from scratch, then the 3D team does that. It's it's gets it's getting more and more affordable as the tooling gets better and better. Wow. Okay. So you have to like manage your whole creative pipeline as well as the the technology stuff. Is it is it managed differently? I don't know. You know, managing creative stuff and production seems a little bit different than managing engineering and development just to my brain, is that, is that true? Or is it really just sort of a a same kind of process? Oh, no, no, it's, it's quite different. And maybe part of the reason it's different to me is that I understand the engineering part (laughs) a lot better, you know, like, you know, when we're looking at engineering, it's, you know, defining your requirements and, uh, you know, figuring out your component structure, the technology, the architecture, putting together little pieces, making sure they work, adding on, you know, it are just kind of iterative, agile, you know, when you're doing the the artwork stuff, I mean, I suppose if you look at it at a high enough level, there would be some parallels, but it's, uh, I, I mean, I guess there are some parallels. You build like a material library that contains the visuals, you know, so if you have the right patterns and the right like effect, the right shine, the right transparency, whatever, depending on the products you're working on. And then you can apply those materials across multiple products in the portfolio, typically. And then the geometry, sometimes you'll have shared components in the geometry. If products are quite similar to each other, you might like copy a, uh, you know, if you're, you're building like furniture or something, you might take the first couch, make a copy of it as the second couch, and then just kind of squish the geometry squish around, around. <laughs> you know? yeah. to get real technical with it. You're right, right. <laughs> this te- technical swishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it uh yeah i mean the, the the details of what an artist is doing in a 3d modeler are just so different from what an engineer is doing sure with yeah. code but i mean i suppose there are some parallels yeah that's really interesting i just yeah i was just thinking from a management perspective you know we all come into you know we kind of i think of it like the carousel you know at the at the amusement park and you kind of you naturally gravitate to and jump on one horse, maybe two. And then, you know, there's all the other horses and you kind of wonder, I wonder what everybody else is doing. And it all has to go together and be aligned 
And every sub-discipline and area of our businesses has a totally different vocabulary. And this is just in the company. Forget about the fact that you have to go talk to customers who all have, every industry has a different word for the same thing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just find it's like you often have to have, you know, internal glossaries and, you know, okay, when a designer says this, they actually mean <laughs> this, which is, you know, developer, somebody, somebody should develop the, you know, the theory of, uh, of all business words or something with some kind of like a, a massive the visualization, right? <laughs> the unifying theory of the way we refer to all the stuff we have to do in startups. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so what's next? I mean, you got, you got your sales hat on, you're building, building the business. So, I mean, what, uh, you know, things are coming out of the, the great doldrums of 2020. What, what happens now? Yeah. Well, this is the funnest part of being in a technology startup, right? I mean, whatever technology startup you talk to, this is like the funnest part. And for us, I think it's especially fun. Um, I've already talked quite a bit about 3D, but the places that's going are are just awesome. Um, you know, like greater accessibility to things like AR and VR being able to deliver like web AR, being able to like customize products while people are virtually wearing them, things like that. So these things are feasible to a certain extent today and uh, getting better. You know, they have these like machine learning models based on the geometry of the human face. You know, I don't know if you see like the glasses is probably the most evolved web AR stuff. There's a number of companies um, like we do some work with Ray-Ban around this. It's still in progress. We didn't build what they have today, but we're working with them on this. Like just virtual try-on. Ray-Ban offers this as well as a few other companies. It's just so you amazing. Can like you know, have your head in front of the camera and see how they look on you kind of right. thing. Yeah. Right. And it's really good. And then you can integrate that with the configuration experience. So while they're on your head, you're clicking the different kinds of lenses and frames and seeing them just immediately on your face it's got to be a huge boon for stuff like that now that all of us got forced to buy a nice high def webcam i mean that, that <laughs> yeah. had to jump everything just years forward there's no reason anybody <laughs> would have had all that you know now right. everybody's armed with a camera and maybe even some decent lighting you know <laughs> if you if you've invested in that so yeah that's pretty wild yeah yeah so 3D is just one big area that's just ripe with like lots. I don't know if I can really call it low hanging fruit, but mm. fruit, lots of lots fruit. of real cool <laughs> benefits. Fruit um, nonetheless, even if we can't reach it yet. <laughs> right. right, you can see it. You can right. see it. You can imagine it. <laughs> I'd, I'd say another area of interest would be like social commerce. So instead of focusing as heavily on um, like web-based presentation. Like most of our customers, most of our customers' customers are using mobile devices. So we're basically a mobile first company. But up until this point, we've been primarily mobile web. And, you know, and desktop web. It's been mostly web focused. Um, but I think there's gonna be more and more kind of purchasing commerce oriented integrations with social commerce social media so you're you're buying stuff on instagram facebook and wechat and tmall and whatever and you can see that to a certain extent but like most of what you see 
like on Instagram, for example, there's a lot of like commerce that's initiated on Instagram, but today most of it just kicks you back to the company's website. Right. I think we're going to be seeing more and more commerce that's more tightly integrated with the social platforms. You'd certainly expect they would want to have the transaction volume, you know, stay yeah, on, their, cool. on their platform. Well, they want it to have the transaction volume. And I, I think that um, merchants want it for a streamlined checkout process. It's a little bit fragmented when you're on Instagram and then you pop off Instagram and you got to kind of reorient yourself because you're on some web page now. You can't even tell Instagram's in the background. You know, whereas if you were just there, it was a real simple, clean flow that just took you to like bang one click checkout. I think there's there's a lot of motivation for that kind of across the board. Man, could you imagine the <laughs> fights over customer data? Whose customer is it? <laughs> you know? that's yeah. gonna be that's gonna be fun you don't have to deal with that part <laughs> so. no fortunately not <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome it's exciting stuff and i mean you could start to imagine all kinds of ways that uh you know you could walk around your virtual store fronts even and you know put your oculus right. on and you know try things on walk into walls I, <laughs> hopefully not right that would impact the buyer experience a little bit <laughs> Of course, if you hit your head hard enough, maybe just buy all kinds of stuff on Instagram then, you know, just click on it. So. I totally needed this, you know? <laughs> right. Well, that's awesome. Helmet that's awesome. Sales. So what kind of people are you looking for to, to check out um, the product, you know, if anybody's listening? So many different types of companies can use this. The best, the best niche for us, the place we normally get the best fit is companies that are ambitious with it looking to um, really make a bit of an investment in order to realize some real benefits. Sure. Yeah. So companies that are looking at, you know, meaningful configuration from like a functional perspective or companies that are looking for a global offering, you know, like we, we offer, we offer localization into mm. whatever languages and currencies and we have infrastructure around the globe, including mainland China. So companies that are looking for some leverage on it. You know, of course, everybody starts small. I'm a firm believer in the whole MVP thing. But we, we see the best results with companies that have a bit more vision. Yeah, yeah. demonstrate success with the MVP, but then, you know, have some thought into what's going Then spend happen. a lot of money with Andrew. <laughs> and realize a whole ton of profit. And, and realize a whole ton of extra money. So <laughs> I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome, man. Um, how can people, uh, reach you, you know, so, so we'll get, we'll probably get founders who are interested in talking to you about entrepreneurial things. And then, um, you know, from the company perspective, what's the best way to get you and the firm? So. Yeah. Well, the, the simplest way is configureid.com. That, that gets you into our website and then there's a contact form there. So that's, that's probably the simplest way to get there. Awesome. Awesome. You well, can also, so uh, you can also use hello at configureid.com if you prefer email. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> well, Andrew, it's it's been fun uh, hearing about the journey. Thank you for thank you for sharing the gory details. That's that's the stuff that I love the best. So. That's where the fun lies, isn't it? Thanks for hanging out. We're up to check on you like in a year and see where you're at. So <laughs> yeah, looking forward to it. Have a good one. Thanks, Ledge. Bye. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.